Hello, and welcome to The Conversation. I'm Heil Russell. And I'm Mitchell Wolf. Mitchell, welcome back to The Conversation. It is always nice to have you. How are you doing on this? I'm always excited to be here. I'm good, Day. Heil. Okay, sorry. My, my note cards of talking points had fallen out of my hand, and I had to pick them up. <laughs> cool. Yeah, yeah. So... Mitchell, when's the last time you were on the show? I I can't remember when you um, last graced us with your presence. Yeah, uh, I feel like it wasn't so long ago. Maybe within the last six months. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> I know you were on our E3 episodes, but I feel like we always try to get you in somewhere after that. So I I, I don't know, but. Uh, welcome back. It, it's been a while, and you know we're going to be talking today about the Renaissance. And don't worry, we're going to explain what that is. You know, this episode has just the awful title of Renaissance Rarespective, and I had to think about that because I was going to call it the Renaissance Retrospective, but then I realized people would get confused because they would think I would be like comparing rare with retro studios and, and then mm. like i could call it the renaissance platonic spective or the planaissance tonic spective or you know but then it just doesn't mean anything not that renaissance means yeah. anything but i had to weigh my options and the believe it or not the cleanest title was renaissance rare spective so i'm, I'm I sorry like, i like planaissance tonic spectrum <laughs> but uh I, I think that you went with a good option here, and I think it's going to work out. I spent four hours trying to figure this out, and ultimately, after consulting a team of researchers at MIT, they all agreed this is the least confusing one. So, this is what we're going with. Uh, but yeah, uh, you're, you're on the show. Uh, of course, this isn't, the show. The, this isn't the only podcast you do, Mitchell. Uh, I thought you might want to plug your own wares. Uh, oh, not, thank you so much. Not your own rare wares, because that would make it confusing again, and then I would have to sit here and explain what I mean. No, your your own podcast, Mitchell. What are you doing right now? What are you cooking in the oven? So, me, along with uh, other conversation, uh, often co-host, Dustin Jackson are going through every Telltale video game that they've ever released uh, between the years of 2004 and 2018, I believe, is, is when they uh, uh, ultimately fell. And we're, uh, right now, we're, we just finished The Walking Dead Season 1, which was a, a really, really cool video game, sort of surprisingly for me. Um, so if you go over to Telling the Tale on any of your podcasting apps, you'll be able to find it. Telling the Tale uh, is, is is the name of our podcast, and you should subscribe to it if you want. Sort That's of a, my advertisement for myself. Hey, if you want, you should go for it. Sort of a tall tale, tale spective. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a tailspin <laughs> retro retrospective. <laughs> no, but yeah, you're doing that with uh, Dustin Jackson, who regular listeners of the conversation will certainly know. He's been on the recent Saberwolf GBA episodes we've been doing. So, 
Yeah. You get, yeah. You, you get Mitchell, you get Dustin. It's basically like a conversation, except I'm not there because I, <laughs> I would, I, I wouldn't be any help in the, in the tall, tall tale discussions. Well, we barely are any help ourselves. I wanted to bring this up though. Good. Uh, thank you for, for reminding me about Saber Wolf. Yeah. Um, I want, I just want it on record on the show itself. Okay. That in 2015, yeah. I posted basically what is your Saberman rule. Yeah. On the forum. Yeah. And, and I was met with nary a consideration. <laughs> okay. Nary. Kyle. Well, Mitchell, you know, I, I've grown considerably <laughs> since 2015, uh, as, as the world has been through, uh, quite, a quite a, a stormy, uh, season it's in itself. So, you know, you were just too early. You were just ahead of your time. And like most artists who are ahead of their time, great thinkers, you know, mm-hmm. you, you were uh, stoned to death. I was stoned to death, which is why I'm here today. Um, and you know what? You know what, Heil? I'm just happy Saberwolf made it more than, <laughs> hey, who invented this rule? Was it you or was it definitely for sure me? Uh, I, it, what matters <laughs> is that w- more people are playing Saberwolf GBA, uh. which is a fun video game. You know, I, 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 maybe, you know, your, your post was rattling around in my subconscious and was kind of like the little bird embryo inside the egg. And it was, it was feeding on the goopy nutrients for the past seven years until it could, until it could fully hatch into the lovingly cute little featherless creature, uh, that, that, Everybody finds so enchanting when they come out of their eggs. So, thank you. <laughs> well, I, I'm glad to have been your your egg mother. Yes, thank you for the for last seven years impregnating the hen that is my Donkey Kong Universe logic. Speaking of Donkey Kong Universe logic, Mitchell, mm-hmm. we we at DK Vine we like to break down the Donkey Kong Universe by era because we're all about the historical legacy we leave behind it leaves behind we like to have these epochs you know these uh these measurable units of time where we can say this was the story of this era a lot of this is just in retrospect excuse me rare spect because you know when you're living in the moment it's not quite clear. It's only until after you're past a moment of time that you're able to really put that in perspective. Mm-hmm. And some of it may be, you know, uh, in hindsight, you're, you're kind of filling in the gaps with the color of nostalgia, whatever. But we like to do it. And we've broken down the eras of the DKU into five distinct spans of years so we have the classic era which spans from the launch of donkey kong country in 1994 by the way if you do like incorporate the arcade era 
into your Donkey Kong than just, you know, attach the arcade era before all of this. Uh, we got the classic era, 1994 to 1997, which is Donkey Kong Country Games and Donkey Kong Land Games. It is the establishment of Rare's vision of Donkey Kong, the modern Donkey Kong. And that's basically what it is. Following that, we have the spin-off era, 1997 to 2002. Diddy Kong Racing essentially creates a shared universe of Rare games. The Banjo-Kazooie and Conker series both launch, while plans for Dinosaur Planet are underway with incredibly convoluted results. And Donkey Kong also rediscovers his historical connections with Mario, and the modern Donkey Kong begins appearing in Mario side games. Then we have the it's buyout. It's interesting to me. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. You no, know, go ahead. Let, let, let's define all the things. Let's we'll define talk about. them and then we'll pick them apart like vultures. Sure, yeah. Sure, sure, sure. The buyout era, which is 2002 to 2010. Up until now, this has been the longest era of the DKU. The buyout era was when uh, Nintendo declined to purchase Rare, allowing console startup Xbox to swoop in for a deal. And so the, the buyout era was a period of great uncertainty that left the gaming culture of the 1990s behind, yet still produced I mean, an incredible wealth of games across every series. Every faction of the DKU got some love during this time. However, Donkey Kong did struggle to find its identity post-Rare, and Rare struggled to find a hit on Xbox. I mean, they, the closest they came was like Viva Pinata, you know, but it, it was it was a t- very tumultuous time. And a, like I said, a time defined by uncertainty and the shock that what you love as a child isn't always going to be in vogue. It isn't always going to be, you know, the present. And so the, the buyout era is basically an era of growing pains. We that have the, said, there were a lot of Donkey Kong games. There sure specifically were. in this era. Um, uh, so a lot many more Donkey Kong than games. The, the Rare Renaissance era itself, which we'll talk about in a yeah, second. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, the, there were tons. It, it, it seems like at that point in time, it was still a very high priority for Nintendo to put out um, at, at least a quantity of Donkey Kong games every year or so. Um, um, and that, in in retrospect, makes it feel like that should have been a really cool era for the the Donkey Kong universe. Uh, And and maybe, I I, I think I'll come back to this, but I don't think we appreciated it enough at the time, just because of how everything else was going. Like I said earlier about hindsight, you know, Mm -hmm. I don't think we could appreciate the buyout era. Well, some of us. I I couldn't. Because of all the reasons, like, you know... The culture that was the earlier eras with Rare, with Nintendo, it was definitely being left behind. And it felt like Donkey Kong was kind of at war with itself, trying to find what it was going to be post-Rare. And it didn't really help that Rare was also making Donkey Kong games during this time. (laughs) So, you know, it was just like everybody was, uh, you know, kind of trying to have a say and we as fans were getting all sorts of mixed messages and it's easy to look back now and be like what were we upset about look that looks great but when you lived it it was it was a bit different 
Uh, the Returns era, 2010 to 2014. Rare's basic lack of success on the Xbox causes the studio's near collapse, while the success of the Donkey Kong Country Game Boy Advance games that they made for Nintendo causes Nintendo to recommit to the series. Retro releases Donkey Kong Country Returns, and this leads a very quiet era that still brought about some measure of peace to the fandom. Um, it's funny, yeah, like the the Returns era definitely had much less going on than the buyout era. But oh, definitely. I, I think everybody just chilled the fuck out <laughs> because just having Donkey Kong Country Returns, even if it was a game that didn't have, you know, most Donkey Kong characters and stuff, it, just having that commitment to the brand sort of, I, I think, caused us all to just shut up. And... um you know, I, I I don't know. It, it's weird that that was enough to pacify us. Maybe it, it took, like I said, the near collapse of Rare and the relative failure of Nuts and Bolts and them being reconfigured into Connect Studio for a time. Maybe, maybe you know, it, it took all of that to make us reassess and just be thankful for what we had, which mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm not going to, you know, put us all on the couch from over a decade ago, but... Yeah, the, the Returns era was was probably the least populated era when it comes to games for the DKU, but it's one that uh, is remembered more fondly than the buyout era. I, th- I think, in, in hindsight, the buyout era's fruit, will uh, its harvest of games will definitely be uh, allotted more, but, you know, yeah, wh- whatever. Yeah. Um, well, and then it's, that's it's interesting because, like, for that whole last decade before Returns came out, yeah. we were getting tons of spin-offs and ports and and uh, other attempts at continuing the country legacy from Nintendo, like, all over the place. And then as soon as Returns came out, and it seemed to be the thing that stuck with people as, like, oh, you should keep doing this. This is really good. Uh, they They went quiet. Like, as soon as... <laughs> They do something that we're all like, yeah, absolutely. You should keep doing this. They they don't. <laughs> well, Which seems to be a recurring theme a little bit. As soon as we're really happy with something, it, it sort of stops. And I don't know if it is that they finally found the identity for Donkey Kong. Oh, it should be this. And then, mm-hmm. okay, okay, Retro, make a sequel. And Retro makes a sequel. And, and then, you know, the wheels just spin from there. I, I, I don't know. But... Um, yeah, anyway, that brings us to the Renaissance, which started, you know, roughly 2014 to the present, roughly. But this is where the dying embers of Rare reignited across the entire Donkey Kong universe. Started with Tropical Freeze and the return of David Wise to Donkey Kong. And then Rare restructured, became one of the most lucrative studios under Xbox, which if, you know, a, a decade ago, uh, I wanted to believe that. Uh, and, and then many of those who left Rare during this time formed Playtonic, which is an indie studio committed to making games more in line with how they used to do it in the 1990s. The Donkey Kong Country fandom, uh, like, we grew up, you know, we, we've we've come of age both outside and within Nintendo, 
and core concepts and characters have sort of been revived and were being buoyed into the next era, uh, the next undefined era of the Donkey Kong universe. So mm-hmm. the Rare Renaissance was really uh, more about reclaiming the spirit of Rare. And the reason we're doing this episode is the Rare Renaissance, it's basically at its end. I, I mean, and that's a good thing. I, like, I, I'm not saying, like, it's ended because it's failed. It has succeeded, I think, in every measure. Uh, we're probably in a new era right now, or just about to pass into it, but the shape of it is still unknown in the present. Mitchell, this era of gaming, this era of DK Vine, the Donkey Kong universe, Rare fandom, Donkey Kong fandom, however you want to define it, it's incredibly important to the both of us. And that is why you're here on this episode. You actually pitched this idea to me. And you're like, hey, we should do this episode when the new season of The Conversation starts. I was like, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. It would be fun to reminisce and get nostalgic about stuff that seems relatively recent, Mm -hmm. but has spanned almost an entire decade at this point. And so, yeah, that's that's why you're here. We're going to be kind of dissecting the Renaissance because, as I said... Anything that happens from this point on probably won't be part of the Renaissance. It will probably signal the new era of the Donkey Kong universe. So I think it's a good time, as any, to take stock of where we've been these past eight years. So, uh, question. Yes. Do you consider Tropical Freeze part of the Renaissance? I consider it the soft launch of the Renaissance because if we're going to okay. define the Renaissance by not like the the core concepts of rare, what it means to be rare, to be reignited, that is also a celebration of the talent of the people behind those games. So the simple act of bringing David Wise on board with Donkey Kong, I think, signaled a big turning point for how this talent is recognized, how the fans recognize it. I mean, David Wise was always a known quantity to most people who have played Donkey Kong games. You know, he was a known name. He and Grant Kirkhope are both, you know, pseudo-celebrities in this fandom, uh, long before people like Greg Mails were really household names. So, yeah... (sighs) I don't know, I I think just having him, this Rare veteran, working with Nintendo on a Donkey Kong game that Rare had no involvement with, was a huge deal. And so I I consider Tropical Freeze to kind of be the herald of the Rare Renaissance, even if it was, you know, most of its development time happened during the Returns era. Yeah, I, I, I don't know where, like, official start and end dates would be for this sort of thing. Unlike the buyout era, in which case, like, there's a very specific day in yeah. 2002 that was the thing. Um, so, f- for me, the Renaissance feels like it started... I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll grandfather in Tropical Freeze for sure if we want to talk about that. Yeah. But I, I feel like the big moment that we sort of all knew... Within the everyone in the community knew that something was different. Was just that that one-two punch of the E3 2015, where mm-hmm. we got uh, Rare replay and an announcement of Sea of Thieves from Rare, 
and Phil Spencer came out wearing a rare T-shirt uh, on on stage, and it, it it seemed like okay, well, if we define we 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 like to define the um, era previous to the Renaissance as the Returns era because we're optimists, but if we were pessimists, <laughs> we might call it the Connect Sports era, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so the, the idea that rare themselves are, are, are doing all this different stuff that is both, uh, pushing forward in a new way that, that, uh, we can get excited about and also returning to some of their older stuff that feels like a big moment. And then before that, on, only like one or two months before that platonic had finished their, uh, ukulele Kickstarter. No, actually so, the ukulele Kickstarter finished at E3. Um, that week. That's right. Yeah, they announced it uh, like a month beforehand, and of course, Platonic themselves were, you know, announced their formation in the spring. Um, I, I believe it was March 2015, and and then from there we like reached out to them. We got Chris Sutherland on the conversation, which is actually Mitchell. How you found us? That's true. Yeah. Um. Yeah, no, you're right. The the Kickstarter ended at E3. I remember because I was trying to buy food at E3, and then I realized I suddenly didn't have any money. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh yeah. I so uh, because I had a massive amount of money come out of my account, my bank freezed my account when I was at E3, <laughs> which resulted in me calling my bank at like two a.m. in the morning uh, in my crappy Airbnb trying to sort it out and being like no no i wanted this money to come out of my account let me explain to you the history of the donkey kong universe (laughs) (laughs) so yeah yeah that that all like it was a crescendo of uh events all culminated e3 2015 so i mean you're you're right like that is the true birth of the renaissance i view tropical freeze more as a prologue Sure. You know, um, cause, cause I do feel like Tropical Freeze was the first time there had been a bit of reclamation when it comes to the spirit of Rare. I mean, it, it is also a game that sought to rectify some of the missteps that Returns made and tried to make good with the Donkey Kong fandom. Even little touches here or there, Retro went out of their way to implement and, you know, they wanted David Wise for returns. They couldn't get him at the time. They got him for Tropical Freeze. So, you know, there there, there is both the historical truth and then there is making things more dramatic in historical retellings. But I, I, I do view Tropical Freeze as the prologue because I remember how I felt. E3 mm-hmm. 2013, you know, it had been three years since returns had been announced. And somehow we had persevere during those three years at uh, DK Vine as a community. We were still optimistic, but it had been three years since we really had anything after the huge success of Donkey Kong Country Returns, which was basically Donkey Kong fandom's force awakens in so many ways. But <laughs> I, I mean, I, and I mean that in both the good and the bad, right? Like it, it was a game that essentially took that first game and remade it as a sequel and really created a whole fervor and frenzy around the property again. But uh, we really hadn't had anything outside of cameo games uh, since that point. And then to have Tropical Freeze announced, Dixie Kong was back. We were, we were excited about that. We were 
a little, you know, miffed that the Kremlin still weren't there, but the snowmats look cool. Or uh, we, we only knew them as the Vikings then at E3 2013, but whatever. And then later that afternoon, um, I was just sitting outside in the June sun looking at my phone and I, as I one was, does. you know, just letting the, the warmth of almost summer, uh, warm my skin and uh then i was looking at the dk vine forum you know because i was in full e3 mode reading what people were saying about tropical freeze and then it was just like oh my god david wise is doing the music to this and it it's just one of those moments where everything stops like it, it feels like the world around you is paused and that you could actually walk through reality you know and and experience you know time completely at a standstill so it was just this unbelievable like oh no this is actually way better than the kremlin's being back this is david wise doing new donkey kong music in 2013 like it was unthinkable and it was just this huge moment for our fandom and it like i said it was one of the first times where somebody responsible for those original games was being celebrated in a way that uh, I think would really tell the story of the Renaissance when all things um, are are considered, when everything, when the history of the Renaissance is laid out, it is really a celebration of the creators as much as the IP. I think that's true. Uh, We've got a lot of, new connections especially on twitter with some of the older uh developers behind these games who we now know um are 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 reachable like we're learning new stuff about stop and swap all of a sudden it's not even new stuff it's just like more old stuff yeah uh it's it's really been a big change for the longest time rare's wikipedia page had an entire like section blocked out for just describing how they don't talk to the media very often. <laughs> yes. Which I, I, I never liked because I like, even if it's true, why that's not like Wikipedia worthy. No, <laughs> just, no. Just, it, just describe the company. Why, you don't more, need to do that. It's more explaining why you don't have any more information to give on Wikipedia. Yeah. For the <laughs> longest time, rare was kind of, I mean, this is the way the stampers ran things. And I, think very highly of the Stamper Brothers, the founders of Ultimate Play of the Game, which evolved into Rare. But I don't really like how they did this. They really hid their talent as best they could. Part of that was so the talent wouldn't get poached by other studios. You don't want a big superstar in your midst because all of a sudden then they can be, you know, headhunted. Uh, targeted by other studios who are like, yes, we want Greg Mails, the designer of Banjo-Kazooie, uh, in our studio. Um, and so, I mean, that that is even why in a lot of their credits, they would just list first initials, like G-Mails. And I don't know. I feel like Greg Mails should be celebrated. I feel like all of these people should be celebrated in, in such a way that, you know... As much as they want their privacy disrupted, you know, if they want to lead private, quiet lives, sure, absolutely, I want to respect that. But there's got to be a middle ground here where for so many years, 
Lee Loveday was the gatekeeper at Rare. You know, we got all of our information through Lee Loveday on the Rare website. And everybody else was kind of behind closed doors. And the people who would break through that would be people like the composers, uh, David Wise, Grant Kirkhope, because you couldn't help but take notice of what they were doing. And there were so few of them in comparison to everyone else that you, you they just kind of stuck in your brain. Yeah, right. Um, uh, the, the, the musicians on games are always sort of going to have this otherworldly sense about them in the media. Um, they're, they're credited more often and, yeah. uh, some, some, for some reason their work is thought of as being a different aspect of game development than the rest, which I don't think is fair or true. No. Um, but the, I, I think it's at least good that we, we have this sort of respect for composers. Their job is hard and they are producing really great work. Um, I, I, I hope that someday we sort of get to a point where we raise our appreciation for all of the other developers on a game to meet that um, rather than, you know, sort of balance it the other way. But I definitely knew Grant Kirkhope's name way before I knew Greg Mills' name. Um, it, It just seems like that's the way that goes. It is, and it's not fair, but that's just the way the world was, and that's why I really like um, this era we're entering in now, or we've not entered in, but we've been living these past several years where, you know, more and more names from Rare and now Platonic are are known. Like, getting Chris Sutherland on our show was a big deal, Um because not just for us, because we got to talk with one of the key creative talents behind some of our favorite games of all time, but we also got to celebrate Chris Sutherland, you know? So, uh, and I, I, you know, I, that, that episode in particular, I think helped put this podcast on the map. Um, and it also helped make Chris Sutherland somewhat of a celebrity in our fandom. And I, I'm not like, blowing smoke up our own ass here at DK Vine. But it, I mean, it was mutually beneficial um, in that early era before Platonic was an established brand when they were just starting out. It was, it was just kind of this uh, signal flare that was like, Hey, Platonic is here now. And this is Chris Sutherland. You might remember C. Sutherland from the credits. (laughs) And uh, you remember the credits, right? All of the credits. He's going to tell a story now about himself and his life. Maybe you want to listen. And yeah, it, it was a big deal. Um, it, it was like, it, it was just the right moment in time for, I think, us and them and the fandom. And it, it really um, kind of set the tone for what the renaissance was going to be, you know. And and now, you know, we got these uh, Twitter accounts uh, that are like always tweeting. Well, Greg Bale said this in 2006. And, you know, it's, it's, it's great to see as, as funny as it can be at times. It's just, it, it's wonderful to have the, um, the people and not all the people get the recognition they deserve. Cause you know, I've obviously been focusing on Greg Mails and Chris Sutherland, but there are so many people down the list who don't get the credit they deserve. And part of that is their availability on Twitter. If they're, if they're, if they're not really on Twitter or they don't engage much, then maybe they aren't as well known, you know, but mm-hmm. 
yeah, it, it, it's been it's been really heartwarming as somebody who grew up loving these games and these characters to now also get to love the people who created them. And that that's been the big biggest revelation of the Renaissance for me is I care just as much about the creative talent as I do the IP. And, you know, I, I'm the one who's like, characters are everything, lore. But if these creative talents, if this if these people are making a new game that has nothing to do with that, I'm still going to pay attention now. Where uh, maybe, you know, 10 to 15 years ago, I wouldn't have. So, uh, anyway. It's, <laughs> well, it's yeah, just, anyway. It's, you know. It's how I've evolved, uh, and that's thanks to the Renaissance. So, yeah. Uh, so, I mean, from from my perspective, the Renaissance is a really special era because that's sort of where I met the community uh, at yeah. large. Uh, we as, met as you alluded it, to earlier. We we yeah, met, we met at, at E3 2015. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's nearly seven years ago, which is wild. It feels it doesn't feel that long at it all. It both feels like yesterday and it feels like twenty years ago. I I really ever since COVID, time has had no meaning. And as you get older, time speeds up. So really, I have no idea anymore. It's just I feel <laughs> yeah. like I am in this uh, this void at the end of time where uh, like all of time is collapsed in on itself, and so I can live both the past and the future and the present simultaneously. So yeah, if you say it seven years ago, I'll believe you. But also, it just happened, Mitchell. What are you talking about? Yeah, I remember we went to a we went to a Mexican restaurant, and I uh, I wanted a margarita but could not get a margarita because I was twenty, and <laughs> now I'm in my late twenties. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like I'm all the way on the other side of that whole decade of my life. It's it it feels very strange that it just passed by so fast. Yeah, it's you know we we focus on the how full of like political strife the last eight years have been and, and the world and and just how things seem to be spiraling in many respects. But that is why I'm so thankful we have had this era, this almost universally beloved era for the DKU because it's allowed us an escape, just like, you know, if I were to escape the bullying of junior high, I had the new game Donkey Kong Country 2 to get me through those troubled days. And now I have all of this stuff to help get me through, uh, you know, the world. How, how do you feel about the world right now? Oh well, where where would you like me to begin, Mitchell? I <laughs> I don't want to be. I know taken, that's a loaded question. I don't want to be taken down by Russian troll farms again. So why don't we just sidestep that question? Fair um, enough. Yeah. So you know we we've we've discussed you know Tropical Freeze, David Wise. We've discussed the announcement of Platonic, and also E three two thousand fifteen and. Specifically, like, the whole rebranding of Rare during this era, where they had the new logo that harkened back to the Rare Wear logo from the 1990s. They announced Rare Replay, which, you know, was a big deal at the time, but really the biggest announcement was Sea of Thieves. And this, like, promise of, oh my god, I'm getting this game about Rare Pirates 
with Greg Mail's designing and all of Rare, you know, behind. And it, it was just such a cool moment after those many years of the Kinect Sports games, which, you know, to be fair, the Kinect Sports games did what they did very well. It just wasn't what most Rare fans were hoping for. And we can parse and debate about, well, Sea of Thieves is what a lot of longtime Rare fans wanted. They want Banjo. They want Conquer. They want this. They want that. Now we've got Viva Pinata people in the comments asking where the new Viva Pinata game is. But Sea of Thieves really does capture the spirit, the quintessential spirit of Rare in a way that I don't think the Kinect Sports games ever really could. And and so that that E3, that whole E3 was just such a head trip. Going to a Mexican restaurant with you, getting to meet so many people from Rare in person, which I never thought I would get to do. I never thought I would get to experience that. Like, oh yeah. my God, you know, this is this is Greg Mails. This is Robin Beanland. Robin Beanland is on the E3 show floor showing off Rare Replay. What? It is weird that they just had everyone sort of walking around that year. Uh, it seems like later years that they realize like, oh, we're kind of people. <laughs> we're, we're kind of people that people want to want to know and talk to. Maybe we should be like a little less exposed to just everyone. Uh, but that first year when they were showing Rare Replay, they were all just sort of around, just sort of like standing around waiting, trying to, to pimp their own game. And like, dude, you're Robin Beanland. <laughs> but you're, I, th- you, you can, I think... You should have security. This is very alarming for me that you're just like all around. I think that shows where the rare renaissance took us from that E3 in 2015 to the now where, you know, truth be told, most people didn't know who Robin Beanland was then. I mean, obviously we knew, you know, oh my God, you're the composer of Conquer. You're the composer of Killer Instinct. But, you know, to the general populace at E3, they, they 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 didn't know that uh, and you know the success of sea of thieves the the kind of um opening up of rare and putting the spotlight on these creators has completely changed that you're right so that that was a special moment in time you know as much as sometimes yeah. i look back i'm like oh i wish i could have been at e3 2013 to see the reveal of tropical freeze oh this and that regret blah 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 but nintendo was still using the models with the 3ds is tethered to their hips a special era <laughs> yeah when we that first e3 because that was my first e3 that was your first e3 too right yeah yeah that they still had quote booth babes mm-hmm. end quote <laughs> like it, it was uh it, it was this weird era where the culture hadn't completely rolled over yet and we were still in that earlier like aughts era like ah we need you know, I, I'm I'm impersonating an executive right now. You know, taking a drag on a cigarette. Ah, oh, yeah, we need uh we need attractive ladies to really get the nerds uh, all hot and bothered. Yeah, we need GB Robo Ziplash right on the hips. <laughs> we need them to play Mario and Luigi Paper Jam while they wait in line for a totally unrelated game. So we need to get Jessica down there with the game on her hips. <laughs> yeah, it was gross. It, it was just gross all around. And it gets the people going. <laughs> they think about touching a thing that was once touching a hip. 
And it's true. That's the sad thing. Like, I'm sure that conversation happened somewhere yeah. behind closed doors at some point in the history of E3. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, I'm, I'm positive that's exactly what they're thinking. They're, they're thinking, like, subconsciously, they'll be interested in touching this thing because it was at one point touching a woman. <laughs> So like that's 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 their marketing plan. That's yeah. the that's the whole idea behind it. And I have to I have to be honest, when like we were discussing going to E3, like I didn't I wasn't even that interested in staying out for the entire thing because I'm like, eh, you know, people I don't like being around people. It's just, this is this is pre COVID too, you know, so I wasn't even thinking in terms of I'm going to get sick. Oh, Mitchell, you better believe I got sick at the end of that E3. That last oh, yeah, day, I, I, I was, I, I had come down with the convention flu. Um, I, I, weird, the era of walking around not wearing a mask. What? But yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I had no interest, but I'm so glad I had that experience because yeah, just getting to meet the people at rare, and I don't want to like toot our own horns here, but I think it meant something to a lot of those people at rare to see that they had such passionate fans and and we weren't being weird and creepy or at least i was trying not to be weird and creepy but just having discussions with people like oh yeah you worked on grunny's revenge here's what i really loved about banjo because we grunny's revenge let me tell you and to have these discussions and i i think it showed them it got them outside of their bubble, and it showed them, hey, the work we've done has resonated with people. And uh, it, it was just this huge turning point all around for everyone. Uh, yeah, it was, it, was, it was really a special moment. And I had an emotional reaction coming home from that E3, just realizing that between Rare's obvious restructuring and the birth of Platonic, that... All of these creators I had followed in my childhood that had gotten me through the roughest days of adolescence, um, they were all going to be okay. And, and that this, yeah. the spirit of Rare was going to persevere when just a year earlier it felt like that wasn't going to be the case. Yeah, it's it's tough to talk about this era because on the one hand, I think you can maybe define it as like, if if you wanted to be mean about it, you could define it as promises that did not come to fruition. Oh, uh, that is mean. Like like the idea that like, hey, I love these rare IPs. They're they're back. And like, well, we haven't had a Donkey Kong game in seven years. We haven't had a banjo game, and we haven't had a Conquer game. We haven't had like any of these things. The the one Star Fox thing we got literally erased our history uh, with that <laughs> with, within the DKU. So like. On, on on some level, the, the idea that like the, the hey you know what the the DKU is back like that kind of didn't happen. But there's all of these other things that just involve the the culture around around it. Just like how did it feel to be there at the time? It's so much more positive than eras that were actually getting a lot more games like the buyout era. Uh, yeah. Like during the buyout era, we got a new Conquer, we got a new Banjo, we got a bunch of new Donkey Kong all the, all over the place. Uh, we got a ton new Star Fox that were like following on from Star Fox Adventures. Yeah, uh, we, that that was the time that I think 
we actually were experiencing the ballooning of the DKU, and then we didn't, we never felt that at the time. And then the the the, uh, uh, the Renaissance is the complete opposite, where we are actually not getting that much at all, but we are getting like some new things we never thought of before because like we we couldn't have thought of before, like ukulele and Sea of Thieves. Yeah, and just the the way that the 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 way the world around these games feels right now, or, or, or not right now, I guess we're out of it, but at the time, w- w- was so strange. Because, uh, like, like to go back to that, that 2015 E3, I met Craig Duncan there. Uh, <laughs> and I was I was very excited. Like, this is the, the head of Rare. This, this is a really exciting thing. I, I'm a big fan of the studio, and, and he's in charge of it. And I was talking to him for, like, I, I don't know, like four minutes or something. And... At some point, he goes, hey, do you want to take a picture? And I was thinking, like, oh, this is a, that's super generous with your time and everything. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah. And then he took a picture on his phone and posted it on his Twitter. Yeah. Of just the me and him. <laughs> and and I, I wonder... I think about that all the time. I, I, I wonder if maybe he thought that I was some sort of influencer that I wasn't. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but also like, Hey, he just, he took a picture with a fan and he was excited. Like, Hey, I just met a fan. <laughs> like that was, that, that's such a, a wild thing to have happened. Yeah. I, I was always super apologetic talking to Craig at any E3 because I, anytime we would talk for more than three minutes, I'd be like, well, I am monopolizing this very important man's time. I, I'm going to throw myself on the pyre you know, to apologize. (laughs) And and he would always, no, insist to keep talking to me. And I'm I'm Mm -hmm. just like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Like, he's a good talker. He's got those talking skills. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, and, and like towards the end of that E3, I don't even know if you were still around that day, Mitchell or not, but, um, the, some, some of the guys from rare, uh, tracked, tracked us down and, uh, gave us rare staff shirts, and that was just the coolest moment. I feel like I can talk about that now since it's been seven years. But like, no, yeah. I, I was there. I still have my shirt. Yeah, okay, I, I wear it all okay. the time. It's, I was, it's, a, it's a great one. I I thank them by getting them sick with my flu, I'm sure. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I haven't worn it once, but it's, it's still uh, kept safe uh, because I'm just like, well, I can't possibly wear this, but this is the coolest thing. Um yeah, it was, it was just, um, it was a special moment. It was like one of those things where you had to be there to sort of understand. But I think that really helped set the tone of, like, how we were going to view the Rare Renaissance going forward. Like, because not just the Rare stuff, but getting to have dinner with Grant Kirkhope and Andy Robinson of Platonic. And it, it just, it, it was like this this huge moment where we got to pick everybody's brains about what was happening with ukulele and sea of thieves and it it was just a lot of good vibes like okay there's actually a plan now whereas before it felt like they were just kind of fumbling in the dark hoping something would you know something would catch fire and and illuminate the room and and nothing really ever did in the buyout era for rare, you know, and 
yeah, here we are. Sea of Thieves is is one of the biggest games on the Xbox, and Playtonic is doing very well for themselves. And you know they've they're now publishing indie games uh, in addition to making their own. And it just seen where everybody's come since that E three. Everybody is a you know a wash in success and. It's it's such a comforting feeling compared to where we were before that E3, where it felt like Rare was on death's door. And I remember when they had the layoffs in 2014, uh, how gloomy it felt. And and I did I did a conversation, and I said, you know, it does ultimately doesn't matter what happens because we the fans will carry the spirit of Rare with us. That's not verbatim, but that's what. I was trying to convey. And then like a year later, this E3 happens. I'm like, Oh, thank God. That was too much burden for me. <laughs> uh, I don't have to worry about that now. Cause I feel like everybody's going to be okay. And it turns out I was right. Well, I mean, sure. I, I think everyone was ultimately okay. Or at least if you were in that sphere, you have the option of like, okay, do you still work at rare? Do you work at platonic now? Do you do your own thing? Yeah, uh, it, it seems like a lot of them landed on their feet. That said, I I don't want to I don't I don't want to rose color those lay, layoffs. Those no. were bad. Those were it, a bad thing. It, it was it it was it was a uh, it was it was rough. And that being said, you know I I I call it like the original sin of the Renaissance, where without those layoffs, <laughs> we wouldn't have we we wouldn't have Platonic, and I can't imagine. Uh, my life, my fandom, without Platonic in it, you know. Um, I, 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 I don't know. Uh, I, I think that it would ultimately be better if that didn't happen. You could have had the Platonic team doing their own thing at Rare on the side, well, and they, they probably would have even been able to use IPs that they aren't able to use now. Maybe, and- I mean, in a perfect world, but I, I don't see that happening. Uh. I don't know. I, I feel like it's good that Platonic has their own independence and, and their ability to just do what they want. Maybe not with the classic IPs, but I don't know. Yeah. Like the, the well, fact that like yeah. um, we we have basically another studio that it, uh, is allowed to kind of celebrate these classic rare sensibilities and to make games more in line with, you know, what they put out in the 90s and aughts. And, you know, it, it's great, too, also seeing when, you know, somebody from Rare leaves Rare and just joins Platonic. It's like, oh, okay, that's that's a lateral move for this fandom. That's awesome. Like, Stevie Cole just left Rare and joined Platonic to work on the, the next ukulele game. So, um, that's, I mean, it, that that's exciting to me, you know, and... Yeah, I, I hate those layoffs. I hate they happened. I mean, I was just very, very despondent about it uh, back back in the day. But I, I, it's one of those things where I'm never really feeling comfortable talking about it because it still upsets me. But I, I think everybody made the best out of a very bad situation. Yeah, the... Um... The era of the Renaissance on a, on a, a personal level for me was also the era where I went from not doing anything to being a video game developer. So, <laughs> uh, in in my in my job 
as a video game developer, we we look down upon video game developer layoffs. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, th- we we generally think they're uncouth. Yes. Yeah. Um but I mean during that era of the renaissance, I dedicated myself full-time to Donkey Kong journalism. So I don't, I don't know what that says about our differing perspectives on this, Mitchell. Other than yeah, well, there, there was a time where we were both fancying ourselves journalists of uh, of, of the video game variety, I suppose. Yeah, uh, right in the Renaissance, it was a time period, man. It was it was a. I, I think people will understate how much this era not just changed the way that we think about this like section of gaming mm. but also how this era changed people like it it, it it seems that um everyone in in the community that i've talked to about this like well what did you do during the uh what did you do during the renaissance They're like oh i became an astronaut what <laughs> <laughs> like there, there's a there's crazy jumps everyone's making uh, and, and, and if that's not you, don't feel bad about it. I, I, I think there's also just like a lot of internal character growth <laughs> that people have had. Yeah. Uh, I, I certainly think that I have. Um, oh, ab- ra- raising hand right here. Absolutely. Like, I I feel like I grew up during this era. Like, I, I f- actually found myself, if that makes any sense. Whereas before, I didn't know who I was. I still didn't know who I was. I was still figuring it out. And... Um, and then somewhere in this renaissance, I met the real me and I was like, oh, hello there. And I gobbled myself up and consumed him and then uh, became him. Hmm. <laughs> That's a lot to think about. <laughs> okay. You ate, you ate him. All right. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the great thing about the renaissance has been how the community has like, really come together i think during it and like this has been a remarkably resilient fandom and i'm I'm still amazed that we've persevered so much over the years with minimal drama we've had drama for sure we've had plenty of drama but you know it's it we've remained remarkably positive all things considered um maybe because we got all that negativity out there in the buyout era but i don't know uh and and just I I think like having an outlet like Sea of Thieves has been good for us, where we get to play co op games together, a co op game together by rare. Uh, like it's been it's part of my weekly ritual, as you know. Like I play Sea of Thieves every week with my friends from around the world, and it's just an amazing experience to get to have that shared adventure in a rare game. It's something you would fantasize about as a kid. And to get to do that, I mean, Sea of Thieves is such an important pillar of my life now because it is how I hang out with my friends, Uh, which was important to me before the pandemic because most of my friends are scattered around the world. I, I, you know, really don't have many irl friends at this point they're all just you know cast to the winds uh and it was especially important post pandemic when this was the only kind of human interaction i would have other than my spouse (laughs) 
Yeah, um, Sea of Thieves has been really important for the community I, in, in general. And I, I think we, we should not skirt around the fact that when we're talking about the community, a lot of them skipped Sea of Thieves and are still skipping Sea of Thieves currently. Yeah. Um, for, for reasons I get, you know, like everything else that is a, a main pillar of the DKU, you're, you're playing as an animal... Uh, you're, it's a single player game. It's an adventure game, and like all, Sea of Thieves is like not that thing, not it at all. Uh, yeah. So that it, it makes sense. I'm, I'm not gonna say like, well, you should just like a different kind of thing. Well, they won't. Uh, but it it has been really important, I, I think, in just like showing that, like showing what's going on at Rare. We're showing how a game has been performing at Rare uh, constantly. Like you, you, you get you get a constant stream of oh well, this is what we're doing right now. Yeah. Um, I, I I think that there's an argument to be made that uh, the, the fact that the entire studio has largely felt like a single game studio, even though they've done some other stuff and are of course working on Everwild right now. In, in, in the background of Sea of Thieves. Uh, the fact that it's been... Like, one year from now, I assume Everwild will still not be out. And <laughs> Sea of assumption. Thieves will yeah. have been the thing for eight years. Yeah. That's, that's, that's an eight-year period with just, like, one game to focus on. Whereas the entire time they were with Nintendo uh, was eight years. So, but- like comparing everything that came out then to everything that came comes out now like it, it this is this is another thing where like it feels a lot better and i think it is because it feels that way like that's what actually is important mm-hmm. um but like if you actually look at the output there's not there's not like a whole lot going on but what does come out feels more intimate and and uh more special for the community as a whole it's a steady stream of rare content that we don't have to wait for like we don't have to wait for the next game because we're just getting updates every month in Sea of Thieves. And so it's definitely helped placated that feeling, that like urge, that hunger for more, you know? Um, when I got to go to Rare uh, in May 2016, which yeah, I, I won't go over too much in this because I don't want this to be too much of our own personal experiences. But of course, what else do we have though? You know, like, I mean, we're we're talking about an era of time that we lived through. I know, I know, I know, but it's not a universal experience. Right. So I I don't want to be like, this is why you should all agree that the Renaissance has been a magical era because I got (laughs) to go to rare. Aren't, isn't that wonderful? Don't you remember Uh, when we all went to rare? Um, (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean, I smuggled you all in my big trench coat. You know, I we were we were just like thirty people all stacked on top of each other. No, I mean, when when I got to go to Rare, like that that was surreal. You know, it was like an out of body experience, a manic high that may never be topped. Because you know, even if I ever got to go back to Rare, I've already been to Rare. It's it's your first. You know, it's nothing's ever gonna like touch the surreal feeling of your first time. So. To get to go and, you know, go around Manor Park and to play Sea of Thieves for the first time before anybody outside of Xbox got to play Sea of Thieves. Uh, And I played it and I was like, I knew. 
Like, this is going to be a game changer for Rare, for for Xbox, for gaming. Like, I knew that this was kind of the end of an era in a way in that what would define Rare fandom going forward wouldn't necessarily be Banjo and Conker and Donkey Kong. It would be Sea of Thieves. Sea of Thieves would bring in so many new fans who wouldn't have any connection to the old stuff. And and I remember like reading uh, a DK Vine. So okay, so a, another uh, glimpse on the inside here that I don't think I've shared. Um, we uh, went to dinner one of the nights uh, after like being at uh, the studio during the day. We went to an Indian restaurant. Ooh, fancy Hile eating food at night. I know, I know. Like for once, I wasn't dumpster diving. <laughs> But I, I I was uh, like looking at my phone uh, once again because I'm just uh, I have the attention span of a nap, and I was reading the DK Vine forum. And Mitchell, I don't know if this was your thread or if it was somebody else's thread, but you might have participated in. But there was a question: What do you think will be a bigger deal? Sea of Thieves or Ukulele? Oh, I and think ukulele, that was my thread. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Ukulele was winning hands down because this is the DK Vine forum early 2016, right? So, and I remember this was after I played Sea of Thieves for like two days straight. And I was thinking, and this is no like slight towards Ukulele, which I love and I, I adore Platonic, but I was just thinking, wow, they have no idea. <laughs> like, like I, I just played Sea of Thieves, and I was like, oh, you don't know yet. You don't know that this is going to be a huge deal. And um, I, I know that really hasn't been felt by the entirety of the community, who, like, maybe Sea of Thieves isn't their thing. But I think that my opinion kind of held true as far as the broader culture goes, where Sea well, of Thieves it, it was is, hard a, is a huge grok. deal. It was hard to understand at first, like, what Sea of Thieves was going for. Because uh, if, if I recall correctly, when the game launched, the things you could do were do uh, you could do Gold Hoarder, Merchant Alliance, and Order of Souls Voyages, mm-hmm. and that's it. I like there there wasn't anything else uh, other. Oh, you uh, there were forts in the games, and I think forts were at launch. Uh, so between those things. They didn't announce forts until like a month before the game came out. And I don't even think they announced Order of Souls and Merchant Alliance uh, until right before the game came out as well. So like you had Gold Hoarder Voyages. That's like what the game was. And then also all of the the social systemic aspects of playing in a shared server. Yeah. Uh, And... I, like from my perspective, I I'll, I'll say like I I did not understand what this was going for. Like I I knew what other MMOs were going for, so I was sort of slotting that in. Uh, of like oh well, you'll you'll be able to do a lot of stuff with other people on the side of uh you know doing these voyages. I I, I get that, but then like that also wasn't correct uh so it, it was it was hard to get a handle on it it felt very ephemeral for like three years uh w- even though i was playing the beta e- i was i was in the the um uh, the pre-release tests and everything yeah i was playing the game 
And still it was like, well, I don't, I still don't know exactly what we're all doing here. I, I assume like at some point this will fill out and it, it did over time for sure. Um, yeah. And I, I have to wonder if Rare wanted as early of a launch as they got. I, I feel like they're, and this is my own theory. I don't have any confirmation on this, but I, I sometimes wonder if Sea of Thieves was launched to coincide with Game Pass and it, yeah. it was just like get out the base game and it'll just grow from there, which accounts for the very tepid reaction early on where I got to play the prototype build, which was much more fleshed out. And so I saw what the game was going to be. And I so I sort of had an inkling and understanding that I guess very few people did. <laughs> so I was a lot. I was like, just like, just wait and see everyone. Just just. Trust me, it's gonna it's gonna fill out. It's gonna flesh out. Uh, th- there'll be some meat on those skellies eventually, and uh, I mean, it, here we are, you know. But it, it, growing pains for sure. But ultimately, it's it's now one of the biggest Xbox IPs out there. And you know, as as somebody who got an Xbox for Rare, and you know, was like, oh man, grab by the ghoulies should be, you know lighting the world on fire and it's not what's happening uh it's 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 comforting it's it it feels like a triumph to finally have this huge ip by rare on xbox and to have all these new fans even if it's created this kind of quandary for dk vine where every time i talk about sea of thieves i'm like Connected with maybe the cross section of twenty percent of our audience, twenty five percent to thirty percent, I don't know, who have gotten into Sea of Thieves, and then there's the other seventy percent who just are like, why aren't you talking about Donkey Kong? Why aren't you talking about Banjo? And then you've got the Sea of Thieves crowd who are like, why is this Donkey Kong fan side talking about Sea of Thieves? I don't care about that. So it, there's there's been a divide that's been hard for sure. And that's why I look back at my Vis de Rare at E3 2016 because I was like, this is this is the last moment where me and my contemporaries here are the Rare fandom, right? Like, the Rare fandom is going to be more going forward, and it's going to be different. And, and so this is kind of the passing of the torch in a way. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that Sea of Thieves has become probably like the number three Xbox IP behind Halo and Forza, maybe eclipsing Gears at this point. Yeah, um, that's. I think that's a fair assessment. Yeah, it's it, it, number three is either Sea of Thieves or Gears. Probably, eh, it, it could go either way. But the um, it, it's interesting that that happened because if you look at what Sea of Thieves is, it's so it's such a. It, it it would be commonly understood within like a game designer culture to be a very niche experience if you just looked at it without knowing the the context. Um, it it doesn't feel like something that's designed for a mass audience. It feels like oh well you know there's going to be some people out there that like this very quiet um, like experimental feeling uh, sailing simulator. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, it it ended up being very very successful, and I, I I think a big part of this era as well is the rise of streaming. Streaming definitely existed before mm-hmm. um, this era, like a long time before. 
but because there was such a push on on streamers uh who who were playing among other games uh this game and like getting a different experience out of it because they were streaming it uh that that boosted a lot of different kinds of games that i think in the past would not have really made as big of an impression uh yeah like with sea of these specifically i don't think you can underestimate how much or i don't think you can overestimate i suppose uh how much just streamers playing the game and and fucking around and doing little silly things in their streams was the reason it uh like recovered from a poor launch mm-hmm. uh like that that aspect of the culture is something that i don't think i've ever completely understood i'm saying that as we're streaming on twitch right now uh but i i, I don't think i, I I have ever completely understood the appeal of of watching people play video games regularly. Like I don't regularly go on Twitch. Uh, I'll I'll see like if my friends are streaming, I'll watch them sometimes or something like that. Um, yeah. Do, do you watch Twitch often? I watch the Idaho Crew uh, to make sure they don't say anything offensive on my channel. Like, sure. uh, cause, cause you know, Dustin, once he has a few, oh man, he's, he's, he's like the drunk at the end of the bar. Uh, yeah, no, Dustin uh, sucks. <laughs> no, I watch, I watch the Idaho crew because, uh, it's fun to watch DK Vine content that I have no hand in, uh, honestly, but I, I don't have the time, Mitchell. Like mm-hmm. if I'm not doing content for DK Vine, if I'm not playing games that I'm going to be incorporating into my work for DK Vine, then I'm trying to live a life. I'm trying to be, a, you know, like I, I'm trying to have it all, you know. Um, I, I'm like those uh, 1980s women in those uh, cigarette ads, you know, like mm-hmm. uh, trying I, to have I, it all. Uh, yeah, and uh, <laughs> I part of that is I can't just sit in front of my computer or. Uh, my tv and watch people stream games because i'm like why because also there's that workaholic part of my brain that's like okay i'm watching people stream games why aren't i streaming something right now why 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 am i not producing content right now why am i not editing something right now why am i not writing something right now this is time wasting that could be going towards dk vine heil you're a lazy asshole you fucking suck then i start punching myself mitchell Mm. first lightly just in the stomach and then i move down to my crotch so i can really feel some pain well yeah you need to go a little further away from like your shoulders otherwise your arms can't extend powerfully Mm. enough yeah so no i i don't tend to watch streaming but i i I do agree (laughs) that's a long way of saying this that's really (laughs) what turns sea of thieves around also it's just sometimes things strike a chord with part of the audience that weren't being served and these this audience might not know what they are looking for until they find it i was that way with donkey kong country it's like finally a game for me uh and i think sea of thieves has struck some of those same chords you mentioned how quiet it is um in comparison to other games and it, it does kind of talk about the wheel of emotion that they were discussing when developing this game it does strike you know the, the full gamut of humanity of, of of what we feel and uh i i think that's important i think it just struck a chord with people once people gave it a chance and yeah here but um if, if i if i think about like all the different aspects of of sea of thieves the pvp 
ship on ship battling uh between people and that that feels like a acceptable to triple a idea right like that feels like it's going to get a bunch of people excited and you it's easy enough to market and and whatever uh and then the the quests themselves i i feel the same way about that like i i can totally imagine marketing a uh well i mean i i don't know what went into the marketing but um showing off finding a treasure chest somewhere and beating some skeletons and returning it i get that loop as well but so much of the game is is so it, it it's much more atmospheric. It's much mm-hmm. more um, ambient. You're just exploring a very ambient place, uh, and that seem that seems hard to make a big deal. That seems hard to uh, just say like, oh, well, this is going to make a lot of money, um, <laughs> right? And and they they've done it, which I I think is an extraordinary. Um, success just making something like that appear to be uh, a, a big you know mainline mainstream release and and like i said it means a lot to me personally because even though i had no hand in the game um uh, despite my appearance in the credits um i i uh i got to see the creators behind it your uh, your mike chapman's uh, your Prestons, you know, I, I got to see them from the start uh, and, and talking about their ambitions for the game and their plans and and seeing the threads starting to be woven uh, into this tapestry and to see it pay off for them. It's been, just been such a great story, um, a, a great narrative, you know, in real life to, to see this game uh, achieve what it has so um i mean that that sea of thieves is like the big, big biggest success story of the rare renaissance and i realize that's not what our audience may want to hear they, they may want us to like harp on the fact that there hasn't been a new banjo game but it's also been a great time if you're a banjo fan this is this is what i'm arguing here like the rare renaissance has been terrific if you're a fan of banjo and kazooie and or conquer or these classic rare IPs, because we have gotten so much. We haven't gotten a new game, true, but look at where we are with Banjo and Kazooie compared to where we were a decade ago. It's night and day. It, it is night and day. And, you know, we have to talk about Smash, Mitchell, because I think the other big success story of this era has been Super Smash Brothers Ultimate. It has been this, uh, finally, this validation our fandom longed for for so long from Smash uh, and, and getting kind of uh, overlooked or picked over, uh, passed over in, in Super Smash Brothers 4, which I know you enjoyed. I know you enjoyed Smash 4, especially where you uh, were in your I life. Mean, it, yeah. It's, you know, it's the weakest one of yes, the Smash but, games. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but you played it. I mean, you you played it quite a bit when it came yeah. out. Um, but I, you know, I associate you with two major moments in my life, Mitchell. I associate <laughs> you with that E3 at tw- in 2015, and I associate you with everything related around Super Smash Brothers Ultimate because we were there wow. together. Yeah, we were together. 
uh, at both E3 2018 and E3 2019, which might be the very last E3s, uh, at least in person, ever. Uh, but two major moments for Smash Ultimate. The coming out party and the victory lap uh, for DKU fans. Getting to play, uh, cause Smash, you know, look, this has been a journey we've been on, Mitchell. And when they announced it earlier that year, you know, I, I, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't too keen. I, I wasn't ready for this again. It was just like, we just got through, it felt like we had just gotten through all of the drama and all of the heartbreak that was Smash 4, Super Smash Brothers for Nintendo 3DS and Wii U. And so I, I, I was ready to put that behind me. I didn't want to go through it again, this fervor of, okay, uh, what's going to be the next Smash character announced? Oh, here's my list of eight characters I want to see, and I will burn down this entire town unless I get all eight. I, 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 I didn't want to do it again. And I was just so um, unhappy with Smash 4, all things considered, because I loved Melee, and I'm not, like, I, I I am not uh one of these people who are, you know, like, Smash Brothers purist. I don't play competitively. I play for fun. I play for the silliness of it. But I, I played hundreds of hours of Super Smash Brothers Melee and loved it. I liked Brawl well enough, but it did feel like they made some missteps there, and Smash 4, well, it happened didn't it but smash ultimate uh i completely turned around on it at that e3 e3 2018 uh just the announcement that everyone was going to be there every past fighter was going to be there was almost enough to get me over that hurdle of yeah but we won't see any new donkey kong characters i didn't really care at that point i was like all right that's pretty cool that every character is going to be in it i will take that trade off and then I got to play it on the show floor and I realized, oh my god, this is fun. This this is the first time I'm really smiling playing Smash since Melee. Um yeah, it it was it was for me I kind of I had a feeling that it would be different than Smash 4 from the very beginning. Um, I, I think I even you were, I, I okay. requested a, a conversation at one point where we talked about the future of Smash before Ultimate uh, was ever announced. I remember. And this, I was yeah. it, it, the the whole the thesis statement that I was bringing to the table was basically just I don't know. I think it could, it's probably going to be good soon. Okay, but, <laughs> but I, I gave you I gave you crap for that thread you posted on the DK Vine forum uh, mm-hmm. in May 2016. I was right about that. You were right about this. Yeah. Um, well, okay. So that thread went wrong. <laughs> <laughs> that, that that thread had a bad day. Because <laughs> uh, I was just I was more thinking about it from a perspective of like, well, we've defined like the really important games to the DKU in the past as being uh-huh. X, Y, and Z, right? So, like, are both of these games going to become that? Is only one but not the other? I wanted to know from a cultural perspective. And then, yeah, you know what? I, I should have known. <laughs> I should have known how it, it, it would go. Uh, people just got mad immediately. <laughs> people got really riled about it. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. That's the internet. That's just, if if you can yell at something, why would you not? You know, I was getting drunk and showing it to people at Rare, passing my phone. No, I'm joking. joking. (laughs) Cool. Uh, No, but you, you were totally right. You called... You called everything about Smash Ultimate. Well, I'm, I'm not. Tr- I'm not trying to brag about that. It just. I was excited. <laughs> uh, I, like I. I saw. I, I think a lot of how Smash Four went was because it was divided over two games, right? Oh yeah. So yeah. you had to make a lot of decisions that made uh, either one game better than the other. Uh, and they tried to balance it out in the end, and I think the balancing acts might have required cutting more things than adding. It, it seems like they, uh, you know, you know, like the ice climbers work on Wii U, but they don't on 3DS. So let's just cut them from both. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's just one character, but I think that mentality sort of was over the entire project, the Smash Four project. Um, and as soon as they were making a Smash game that wasn't spread across two games, I, I think, like, it was, it was, uh, to me, it, it was just a very exciting moment of, like, oh, they're gonna, like, put everything in this game. This game's gonna go really hard, uh, in, in a lot of different ways. And then when we saw the reveal, it, it was even more than I could have anticipated, because, uh... Like, I, I remember as we were going from, we, we were in Koreatown, in, we in an apartment in Koreatown, watching that video, and then we were going to uh, immediately, after that video was over, just go down to the convention center and, and do E3 stuff. Because that uh, was the first day of E3. Like, that, like the, yeah. sh- the show floor opened generally, what, 90 minutes after Nintendo's presentation ends, or, or something like that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, no, sooner sooner than 90 minutes. It's like, if they start streaming at 9 in the morning or whatever, uh, mm. like, the show floor opens at 10 in the morning. Like it, it's, I, I think it's a little, I thought it was a little bit, like, we, you have to get in line, you have to get ready, you have to get down there, but I, I, I think it's a little, I don't know, it doesn't really matter, does it? Yeah, I, I think at that point we were that was like our fourth E three together, so we were like, well, I'm not gonna, you know, stand in line like a pleb. because I, I know <laughs> I know all the ins and outs. I know how to get the stuff I want to get. Yeah. Yeah. I mean and it's true, like especially the great thing, because you were there more as a general games journalist, and I was there for DK Vine. So, like, it, there, I think there's more pressure on you to really get in there. And meanwhile, I was like, all right, well, I've got to go see Rare. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so and I've got to play Smash at some point. That was essentially my E3. When you when you register for E3 as press, you start getting a lot of emails that have nothing to do with what you want to do, but are like, yeah. hey, do you want to, like, look at my game? I'm showing right. a game. Uh, and, and a lot of the time it's stuff that you would, you would never even ha- have heard of. Uh, and, and sometimes it, it was like, I, I remember I got, uh, I got an email saying like, Hey, if you want to check out cyberpunk 2077, you got to talk to someone about it. I'm like, Oh, that makes sense to do. Actually, that was going to, at one point that game was going to be a big deal. Yeah. Um, and, and, and how, I, how I had like, like accepted every invitation i i said yes to every single one (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh, no, uh, this is a tangent, but how did Cyberpunk eventually shake out? Because I know it had its dodgy launch, but so did Sea of Thieves. And we just talked about how well Sea of Thieves has done for itself. Did uh, Cyberpunk have a redemption story? Well, Cyberpunk is not a living game. So, oh. it, you know, it, it's it's supposed to be a single-player RPG, sort of, where you just you go through it, it has a beginning, middle, and end. Uh, so, y- you know, for people who played it at launch, they're not still playing it. Uh, oh. And I think f- because of that, y- you don't really go back to it so much. Uh, it did have a, a really rough launch. Um, it, they, it's, they've been patching it a lot within the last... Uh, However long it's been, a year and a half, two years? Um, a year and a half, probably. Yeah. They, they've given it a lot of patches. A lot of work's been done. It seems to be a lot better than it was. It's certainly a lot less glitchy than it was. Um, I mean, like, when it launched, it was taken off the PlayStation and Xbox stores because too many people were requesting refunds. Um, yeah. So, like, you just you couldn't even buy it. It seems it seems fine-ish now. I haven't played it uh, since it launched, um, but I, I've I've seen the patches and stuff. Still, Keanu could have been, been cool. Yeah, Keanu was excited about it. Keanu was definitely excited about it. I wonder how he f- felt about the launch, where he was like he doesn't do video game stuff very often. So like the one time he really leans in and does. He, he he's not just like in that game he's a lot in that game uh-huh he's very in that game for for what looks like it took hours and hours and hours of of mocap and vo recording and everything thing is i'm uh, sure as an actor he knows how it feels to be in something that's not well received so he just moves on from that yeah i can't it imagine that keanu would on. actually be very like depressed about it he doesn't seem right. like that kind of person Sad eating a sandwich on a bench somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he he commented on that one sandwich picture at one oh, point. I know. And he was like, yeah. yeah, dude, that's what it looks like when you're hungry. Yeah. And I, no, I, I related I, to yeah. him on that moment. He told us at E3 2019 when we asked him, don't you remember that? <laughs> yeah, we had that long Keanu Reeves conversation. I can't believe yeah. we never brought that up on the conversation. We split a cab. Yeah, I mean, look, it yeah. happens. All right. Uh, anyway, yeah, Smash. Sorry. Oh, sorry. Uh, yeah, Smash. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, no. <laughs> uh, so I played as Donkey Kong because he was the only DKU play, uh, character playable at E3 2018. And I was like, wow, this feels really good. This feels nice and crunchy like Melee did. And uh, I... I walked away feeling good about it. And I, I just think that general optimism about Smash from that point, like, we we started feeding off that energy. We started vibing off of it, Mitchell. And we started talking. And you you were like, oh, what if Banjo and Kazooie are in it? And and I was like, oh, you know, don't, don't like, get my hopes up, man. And then uh, that August, August 20, like, we, did, we didn't have to wait but two months, less than two months, for King K. Rule to be revealed for yeah. Super Smash Brothers Ultimate. And oh my a god. A game-changing moment. Like it'll be 4 years this August and it just like I said time has no meaning it still feels like yesterday. But like now K Rule is this certified video game icon 
that that so many people know. I uh, I went into the liquor store the other week, uh, actually the other month. Uh, it was actually October, uh, but I was wearing okay. my. Uh, I was wearing a. Uh, I wasn't even thinking about what I was wearing. You know, it was just you know, a casual Saturday, and I was wearing my Captain K. Rule uh, Crocodile Isle rum shirt, which he's doing this pose like Captain Morgan, uh, like on top of a DK barrel. You know, it's just it's a shirt that was available several years ago online. You know, this fan made shirt, and I was wearing it, not thinking that I'm wearing this shirt into the liquor store. So I either look, I, I look like a certified alcoholic, but um, I, I went to buy my rum, oddly enough. Uh, and the person uh, ringing me up saw my shirt. and was like, Oh my God, I love your shirt. And I looked down, it's my K rule shirt. I'm like, you, you know who K rule is? It's <laughs> like, I made him a in smash. Oh, and, that's awesome. And yeah, it was just this kind of, uh, realization that oh wait k rule is not just some sort of insular thing in our community anymore he is a known quantity <laughs> and i i didn't think we would get to that point and you know we've talked about this so much on uh the conversation but it it was a game-changing moment because not only did it finally give us the return of this character we've all been pining for for a decade but it was also something completely driven by the fandom the fandom got nintendo to bring a character back and how many people can say that how many fandoms can say that that uh because nintendo actually opened up the floodgates this one time and allowed us to request characters for smash we were able to resurrect a character who may never have come back uh given how nintendo operates and I, I'm still kind of stupefied that it went down the way it did, and I, I was I, I was content at that point. It's like we got King K. Rule. Uh, I'm fine no matter what happens. And then E3 2019, which is probably I, I talk about E3 2015, but E3 2019 was probably the most special e3 for me because it's one i got to experience with you with jeff and with cameron we were all rooming together and it was just this delightfully madcap week yeah but uh we were all there together on the couch when banjo and kazooie were announced for smash and that which brings me to my main point um (laughs) but i mean we we recorded it just in case something like that happens and you got our genuine emotion uh, saved for the ages. And it, it was just, it was truly special. If that is the last in-person E3 that ever happens, uh, what a way to go out. There's a lot of comments on that video that insist that it was faked. <laughs> I don't right. know what that means. Like, like, we weren't watching it? Like, why would we fake that part? Uh, well, because like, a lot of reaction videos out there i i and i don't seek these out often because i don't care but from what i understand a lot of people exaggerate how excited they are and and they um they they try to make it as cinematic as possible and we we never do reaction videos uh because i agree they're kind of cheap and tawdry and easy they're low-hanging fruit and um 
This was special for us, though, because we were all in the same place together. Like DK Vine, when we produce content, we're always producing content continents apart from each other. So it's it's hard to, to get that kind of um, filmic togetherness. Uh, yeah, and so and, and I don't I don't togetherness. Yeah, I don't I don't know. I'm just what a phrase. I love that. I know. I I'm weaving the words uh, into a tapestry. That will Beautiful. be complete delight. Uh, anyway, so we we don't often do that. This afforded us the opportunity, and yeah, I mean, it, it was it was all genuine because you know people were like, "Well, you clearly, you know, we're we're just exaggerating." It's like, no, this really meant something for all of us, all four of us. And yeah. luckily, enough people realized we were being genuine because we were name dropping the actual names of things, like the Gingenator. You know, that might be why they think it's fake. Like, oh, they watched this already and they planned how to react because, like, no one else knows the name of the Ginginator. Who would know that <laughs> in real time? Uh, I, I could see that being yeah. why they feel that way. But, but I mean, if, if, to those who know DK Vine uh, and, and know how we think and operate, it clearly, yeah, we it, it wasn't fake. And let me just be on the record. Nothing about that was staged. Uh, the tears were genuine. Uh, Cameron and I holding hands unconsciously, just <laughs> bracing ourselves for what was happening. Uh, yeah. it, it was all real. As, as was your reaction when I got up during the Zelda trailer to go, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to go I was upset. Vine work. No, I mean, I was like, look, Mitchell, I'm sorry, but this is where I tap out because the biggest news story of the year for my website has just broke. Bye. <laughs> it was, it was like one, one minute longer and you're like, can't. Can't do it. <laughs> I, I couldn't. Nope, I couldn't. Um, but yeah, I mean, I understand that Banjo fans, maybe in the wake of Rare Replay, were hoping that there would be a new Banjo game by this point. Um, and, and you know, similar classic Rare revivals like Battletoads and Killer Instinct. Um, yeah, it's like seven years before that, but uh, eight years before, nine years before. I I don't even remember when Killer Instinct came out. Twenty thirteen. Anyway. Yeah, 2013. Yeah, yeah. Uh, ooh, it's almost 10. Yeah, I know. Wow, what? Uh, so I, yeah. I can understand the disappointment, but look at it like this. Banjo and Kazooie are in Smash. Banjo and Kazooie are on the Nintendo Switch with their original game, Banjo-Kazooie. And I, I see all of the uh, agitation. Every time I, not every time, but a lot of times I tweet, or post, or talk about the abundance of rare merchandise that is now coming out everywhere. Uh, like, like if, if you are a Banjo-Kazooie fan, you're not left wanting for merchandise. Same as if you're a Conquer fan. We've got so much in a way of action figures, plushes, statues, uh, pseudo-pop figurines. Uh, just so much stuff! And I, I see people like, oh, yeah, all they do is release Banjo-Kazooie merchandise. They don't, like, they're, they're releasing this so they don't have to do a new game as if it's a binary choice. And um, it's like there's there's no correlation there. It, it's, it's rare is making merchandising deals to celebrate their IPs. Like, it, it's not, it has not, like, they're not thinking like, oh, if we do this, we don't have to do a new game. That is not any thought process that goes on behind the scenes. <laughs> That's not the way this works. But yeah, I would rather have these uh, IPs celebrated 
and finally get um like all the goods we've always longed for then they just stay dormant because they have no plans for a new game at this time you know i i think it's it's great um banjo kazooie as a brand is very much alive and vibrant in a way that it hasn't been probably for 20 years um it it, it is big right now and that will eventually feed into a new game i'm sure i i don't know what form that take i don't know where that would come from but i mean if you don't think they will ever make a new banjo kazooie game then i i don't know like yeah maybe that's true if the world ends in a year but of course there will be a new banjo game eventually the infinity of time <laughs> re- requires all things to happen eventually yes but yeah i i, I guess you know it, it becomes a question of like well how long am i going to live is, sure is, is, is that something that's going to match up with the release of a new banjo game uh in, in in any case i think that smash is pretty good uh yeah <laughs> all, all the merchandise is pretty good I, I I think that Killer Instinct 2013 and Banjo or uh, Battletoads 2020 were really strong revivals of those series, and it's hard not to look at those and think, well, they should revive other stuff. <laughs> uh, right. You know, we're, we're currently awaiting more news about Perfect Dark, but from all we can tell, it seems like they're trying to do it justice, giving it a, a huge team and putting a lot of effort behind it. Yeah, uh, yeah, we're, we're we're just waiting for the next thing. I think the the rare renaissance has been a lot of waiting for the next thing, very optimistically, very very happily. We were happy to do it, um, but like the the idea of like, oh well, this is leading to something, uh, sort sort of ended recently, which is why I think it's not the rare renaissance anymore. Uh, like now, now we're just sort of living in what is current. Uh, it, it it's been a a, sh- a shift in perspective, I suppose. It has, of, yes. It yeah. it's been getting the pieces back into place for the next era. If that, like stuff like getting K. Rule back, mm-hmm. um, getting Banjo and Kazooie, even the notion of this shared connection between Banjo, Kazooie, and Donkey Kong has has been reestablished in a in a in a way. And so we got that back. Um we we've got all of these pieces in place uh up to and including all of the Donkey Kong rumors that have been uh raging for over a year. Um, uh, less than a year if you just take into account, you know, outside the DK Vine bubble. But um, we know there's good stuff in the works for Donkey Kong, including that theme park, you know, uh, yeah. which has been officially announced, which is no longer just the rumor mill. It is actually, no, they've announced it. It's happening. Um, but I, I, I think definitely whenever we get more concrete donkey kong news that will be the shift where we're like okay we're in this next era now where we we know what the future of donkey kong is going to look like and and maybe more stability for donkey kong than has existed in 20 years since the buyout it's probably getting a movie uh probably yeah 
Yeah, and, we, we've and been following I, those rumors a bit. Um, I I can't say everything I know, but I've heard more stuff about the movie, and it sounds interesting. Um, just what has been inquired about, what what has been getting shifted around as far as uh, that goes. Um, Well, regardless of how that goes, there's definitely (laughs) Donkey Kong and Cranky Kong in the Mario movie. In the Mario movie, right. Yeah. Yeah, so there will be Donkey Kong on the big screen soon enough. Or on your tiny television when you stream it, if we're still afraid to go into movie theaters. Um, which I, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm, uh, cautiously optimistic about the Super Mario movie. Like, I, I don't think it's going to please me 100%. Uh, but, you know, I'm, I'm going to try to detach my emotions from it as I would in the past. I'm not going to go in there ready to hate it. I, I'm going to just view it as what it is, a product. And we'll, we'll see what, what happens, but it's going to be a trip seeing Cranky Kong. Uh, on the big screen, yeah, uh, voiced by Fred <laughs> Armisen. Uh, I, I mean, just imagining the sound of Fred Armisen's Cranky Kong has been I, a delightful pastime for the last few months for me. <laughs> he, I then, can't imagine what he's going to go with. He's going to go with something really strange. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, th- th- we could even be here talking about Cranky Kong being voiced by Fred Armisen and and be talking about a Donkey Kong theme park uh, or you know a, a Donkey Kong add-on an expansion pack if you if you want uh, uh full of Donkey Kong references and we we know something is in the works game-wise and and it's probably going to be the like concrete direction of Donkey Kong going forward and it just I don't know it, it so many exciting things and that K rule is back that like the legacy of rare and donkey kong seems to be more shored up than it even was during the returns era and we we how we had grant kirkhope doing new donkey kong music just a couple years ago we were talking about david wise i don't want to shortchange grant kirkhope returning to donkey kong for a nintendo game um with donkey kong adventure Uh, that i mean that it's been it's been a surreal kind of bookended experience there with having wise and Kirk Cope back on Donkey Kong at sans rare. So I, 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 I think the next era, because really it's just going to be bleeding the rare renaissance over into the next era. We're still going to have sea of thieves. We're still going to have, you know, whatever ever wild eventually, but we're going to have, Playtonic releasing. Hopefully, we're going to hear about what they've been working on really soon, as far as their next game or plural games, if if what they're suggesting uh, is true. And yeah, after Impossible Layer, I'm so jazzed about what Playtonic's going to do because, like, you know, I liked Ukulele, but I think Impossible Layer it was a work of art in a way that <sighs> Ukulele maybe wasn't. Uh, ukulele was a game full of tiny compromises that might have hurted the overall thing where impossible layer was one of the best 2d platformers in years and, and is like immediately vaulted to one of my all-time favorite games just for 
how it was able to build on various things up to and including the original Donkey Kong Country trilogy. So, like, Platonic, I, I'm, like I said, I'm so happy they're there, and it's it's been helpful having them, and yeah, not, like, because because in the past, be like, when are they doing the next Banjo game? When, when are we going to get the next Donkey Kong game? But having Platonic from the start, and, and also Platonic just fully engaging with our weird fandom and, and being like, oh yeah, we'll put a goldfish in that. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Like from, from the very beginning, Platonic has been, as, as much as we've talked about Rare becoming more open over the last yeah. few years, Platonic has, has jumped ahead of them, leads leaps and bounds in terms of just being weird on Twitter and listening to people that don't really deserve to be listened to like us. Yeah. Yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah, and I I would love Impossible Layer even if it wasn't full of DK Vine staff references. <laughs> the The fact that so many like that when when they revealed that I was going to be a B uh, a character in the game, I was like, "Well, that, that's 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 surprising." And then eventually, <laughs> Cameron Cameron got in the game, and Jeff got in the game, and like it doesn't even need that. I would I would love it even if we weren't in the game. But I I don't know the fact that they are like celebrating e- even like a- a obscure places like DK Vine. I don't know. Uh, it, it's it's awesome that Platonic has such a uh, finger on the pulse of their most diehard fans. Um, when do you think they're gonna be like too cool for us? When do you think they're going to turn around and like Daly's going to stop talking to us and and, and uh, Gavin's going to be too busy for the podcast? Like when, when are they when are they going to um, deservedly shit on the little guy? When when's the I time? I you know I I'm just kind of holding my breath and hoping I get another good like three years out of them before <laughs> uh, they like they graduate to uh, the big time streamers and. Um, so hopefully, you know, hopefully, uh, like I, I wish them nothing but success, but also, um, yeah, I, I, I hope not they so much success that they, <laughs> they stop being friends with us. Yeah. You, there's that sweet spot in the middle. Yeah. Um, yeah. So just, just, just fingers crossed, but I, I am definitely, <laughs> I can't wait to see what, not only what they're developing, but also some of the games they're publishing, like Little Gator Game, Mitchell. I am excited about Little Gator Game. Little Gator Game. Uh, yeah, I mean that that for sure has an alligator in it. I it looks so wholesome, and I need some of that wholesomeness in my life. Uh, because because the world is a scary place, and and sometimes. I feel like it, it gives me an ouchie, and I need a soothing balm over said ouchie. And I feel like that's the little gator game. Yeah, and, and Demon Turf is is really strong as well. Demon um, Turf, yeah, Demon Turf is like was was a surprising delight um, at the end of last year, and uh, and that, that's the great thing about Platonic Friends, their publishing label, is it 
will get me outside that bubble. That guy who got up during the Breath of the Wild 2 reveal and was like, I don't have time for this. It gets me <laughs> out of my safe space. It gets me to uh, experience things that I wouldn't normally give the time of day because I don't have the time of day for it. But it's like, oh, Platonic's publishing this? I'll give it a try. Um, and, and yeah, Demon Turf was definitely one of those games I would have probably never picked up had it not been a platonic friends game with ukulele in it. And it was just like, Oh, okay. Love it. So Heil, I want to look forward a little bit. Yeah. Uh, so if, if this was the rare and we're out of it now, um, th- there's a lot of options of what could be the focus of the next era. And I suppose we won't really know how it went until it's over. Right. But uh, looking ahead, how how do you feel it'll go? What'll define it? What'll be the themes we need to look for? So I think, like I said, if the Renaissance was getting all the pieces into place, uh, sort of rebuilding the spirit of Rare, not just within Rare, but across the entire spectrum, uh, where where former Rare talent landed and and back into Donkey Kong, back into Nintendo, um then I really think the next era will be sort of, and I, I'm not going to coin it right now because I don't know, but like, I feel like if all things go according to plan, if, if all things sort of play out, like I'm hoping they will, it will be the DKU victorious era where just we're essentially back where we would have been after the spinoff era had the buyout era never happened. The DKU victorious era, where we all <laughs> we, we all get together and we watch the Nickelodeon show Victorious, starring Victoria <laughs> Justice. Um, I I'm into that. I want to be victorious. <laughs> I, I, that sounds good. Uh, yeah, I, I I think we're gonna get a Donkey Kong game that's that's more in the spirit of what we all like Donkey Kong to be than we've had in a long time. And that's not me bad-mouthing what Retro did. I love what Retro did. Uh, But I I really don't see a future with Donkey Kong without K. Rule, without some more references. I mean, look at um, Mario Plus Rabbids Kingdom Battle colon Donkey Kong Adventure and look at, like, it it didn't have a lot in the way of character appearances, but it referenced stuff. It referenced so much in the way of like the original five animal buddies and Hellevines from Donkey Kong 64 and just all these little touches that, that was just like, and, and we know that, um, that was the first game to really have some of the fingerprints of the people in charge of Donkey Kong now, allegedly, um, they had some oversight on that and they were like, all right, well, this is, this is, uh, you know, you can do this, maybe don't do that, maybe get this in there. You mean in so, charge from like a brand perspective? Brand perspective, yeah. Yeah. So I I think that bodes well that, hey, the Animal Buddies were all referenced. Cool. Uh, hey, K. Rule is, is a big fucking deal all of a sudden. Cool. Um, I, so, so I think Donkey Kong is going to be... It's, it's not going to ever be one-to-one to what it was under Rare. And nostalgia also plays into that. Like, nothing's ever going to be as good as that golden moment of your childhood. As I often say, like, if you had the f- good fortune of having a somewhat pleasant childhood, 
that afforded you the luxuries of things like video games, nothing as an adult will ever really compare to the way it does in your memory. But I think it's going to be the closest we've come in a long, long time. And I, I think Rare is is going to continue to thrive. They're going to continue to uh, spin out some of their classic IPs into, into new games developed with other studios' input and help or uh, overall direction. And that will eventually get us to Banjo and Kazooie. Conquer, I don't know about. Like, I feel like we, we had a Conquer revival. We had two Conquer revivals. In yeah, the, I'm, I'm kind of fine on Conquer, if, if I can be honest. I, I, I wonder if Conquer just doesn't have any more tales at the moment. Uh, I, he, he got a couple shots and <laughs> they they didn't go well and it's not really conquer the brand's fault for them not going well um they, they were both very strange very uh you know one-off kinds of things uh but so, sorry if you don't know what we're talking about we're talking about young <laughs> conquer which was a hololens game on the microsoft mm. hololens and we are also talking about conquer's big reunion which was a um both a a single player like episode of conquer and also a content pack for project spark which was a lot like dreams the the playstation game but um no it's just a it's like a lot like dreams that's what it is. <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> yeah unfortunately it uh it i don't know if you could say it was a victim of like the the changeover at Xbox Studios, then Microsoft Studios, um, or what? It was like right in that middle point where Phil Spencer was taking over, and I I don't know what really happened there. It just support for it ceased and was shuttered, and um, we got one installment, a big reunion. But that one installment, Mitchell, was fantastic. I will argue that till I'm in the grave. Uh, that was a amazing sequel to Bad Fur Day. That 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 little little chapter we got, that little slice of Conquer ten years later, terrific. Um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, I I think you're still gonna have Conquer celebrated, even if there are no big games left to tell. Like Conquer will still be part of the language will still be part of the tapestry of the DKU. I realize I'm saying tapestry a lot. Tapestry. I'm sorry. I'm it's sorry. A, it's a good that, word. Yeah, I I didn't like set out to say it a dozen times in this episode. It ju- it just keeps slipping out. Sometimes uh, you just wake up and you know get ready for the day and uh, stretch out and think this is going to be a tapestry day. This yeah, is, this is my day for tapestry. Probably probably because I fell asleep with a quilt in my mouth. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, I know. I, I, I agree with you. I think that Banjo's future will happen. It'll depend on, uh, the team that is making that game, having a good pitch at the right time. Yeah. And, uh, you, you know, who, who's to say when that's going to be? I certainly haven't heard anything, but, uh, I, I, I think the idea that like, it just won't happen would be kind of incredible. Um, Kind of conquer. I yeah, I, I agree. I don't. I don't really know. I. It, it seems like we've might we might have actually seen the last of conquer. Uh, at least in the I, I form think, of like a major release. 
Yeah, I think Conquer might still turn up in things like IDARB, you know, like Oh sure, yeah. I mean yeah. you'll get that forever. That that'll that'll happen. But in for a major like console release that I think we're I say console release as if that means anything anymore. There are no more <laughs> handheld consoles. <laughs> they don't make right. them anymore. Um, and, and I guess the alternative is a mobile game or a PC. Yeah, no. It, maybe it's... they'll maybe they'll revive Tiger Electronics handhelds and <laughs> yeah. we'll get a Conquer game on that. Yeah, <laughs> that, that'll be how you get the new Conquer game. Um, I could see Conquer being in a banjo game. That I just as yeah. the character, not doing anything too conquery, but like just existing. Yeah, um, I, I I think. Because one one weird side effect of this era of communication with like the rare creatives and platonic creatives is that this notion of the DKU uh, is now like known. It's a known quantity among the creative sorts. So mm-hmm. I could see them being like, "Yeah, fans will love Conquer in a banjo game. Um, this will please DK Vine." Yeah, he'll be so- in the bar level. <laughs> yeah oh uh, yeah what if we put a whorehouse in new banjo oh those virgin gamers will love that oh yeah we'll get get characters big old knockers in it now conquer will be there and oh, oh they'll love it and oh, i'll get so much money you know i i just realized like <laughs> I, I meant that as a joke but like banjo 2 he had a bar level in, in yeah, jolly rogers yeah. lagoon you could go in a bar um People were drunk in it. That's yeah. That's very much a banjo thing. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I, I just, I just wonder like what the future has room for 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 Conquer. I think if you look at what Conquer was doing at the time, it was very important and very, uh, you know, it was groundbreaking. And the it 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 is aged like the worst milk. Uh, I think it, I think it, Conquer broke too much ground, and now he can't get out of the grave. Too much ground breaking, too yeah. much ground. Yeah, I, I I think I feel that. I think I know what you mean. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't. I don't know. Tapestry. Tapestry. Uh, yeah, I think that I I'm okay. Honestly, if there are no more Conquer games, because I don't really feel the urge for another Conquer game. I feel like Conquer's story it's kind of self-contained. You know, like. I yeah sure if somebody came to me and was like pitch me your idea for a conquer game and we'll make it I'd be like okay great here we go and I words would start spewing out of my mouth and I probably would wouldn't stop for six hours but you know if if we don't ever see that that's fine like that's fine like the the thing about the renaissance it, it's taught me that we don't need constant releases of these IPs I love. So long as we can all acknowledge that these IPs were great and are great, and so long as the people behind them continue to give us new stories and new adventures, even if it isn't with those characters. Because, again, that's the great thing. Like, yeah, ukulele, they're all new characters, but eh, Platonic's like a goldfish in there, and and so now we're, like, fully on board with ukulele, and and they're a wacky cast of characters, and... I, I feel like there's never going to be a rare or platonic game that we at DK Vine won't cover um, going forward because everybody like everybody's in on this and this this dialogue that's back and forth between the creators and the fans has really changed the game. 
Um, I remember when you're trying to make Shovel Knight DKU, Mitchell. You're trying to get Drumstick in there retroactively. Uh, but that's the kind of thing that we can do now. Um, so, well, I don't. I don't know if that became easier, but uh. no. I mean, but I mean, I mean, but it it is like um, I don't know. I, I feel like the Renaissance really did like open things up, and that that dividing line between us and them, the creators, uh, is is so much thinner than it used to be, and and so yeah, we. Um, we're not agonizing um, in the dark so much about when a new game is coming out. Um, we're just excited to see what they create. I, I, uh, yeah, I, I agree with that for sure. I'm, I'm very excited about the next steps of Rare, uh, which seem to be Everwild. Although something could, at the rate that Everwild seems like it's going, it seems like other things could get in line before it somehow. Uh, More like Neverwild, am I right? Oh, you with the oh. zingers. You brought the zingers today? You didn't I tell me zing- you brought look, zingers. Look, I, I'm excited to announce that in the next era of the DKU, zingers will be back. <laughs> oh, that, That's such a bold choice. <laughs> zingers. Um, like, out of everything. There's no naughties. There's no Kremlings at all. We brought back the murder bees. You're welcome. Oh, could you? I wish Reggie was still with Nintendo so he could he could make that announcement himself. Like he, he just he just like imagine Nintendo still had the E3. Okay, imagine they're still E3, and then imagine Nintendo still having their uh their big uh press events in the auditorium right on stage, and Reggie's like, and for my final announcement. We've brought back the zingers, and then he just he unleashes like hundreds of bees into the into the auditorium, and then the crowd is screaming, and he's he's just like yes, yes. You know, Nintendo directs were so much better. Uh, not not necessarily in content. I mean, content goes up and down, right? But wow. the the style of the directs was so cool at one point. Do you remember, I think it was E3 2017, the Nintendo Direct was like Reggie walking through this liminal space house on the beach or whatever, and he's just like doing some freestyle poetry about what it means to game. And if it's not fun, who gives a shit? And he's just like showing off the, the Switch for the first E3. Uh, and man, that that style, I miss it so much. I miss it so much. The, every Nintendo Direct now is that like, and now this, and it's it's yeah. got the like the, yeah. the red on on white sort of style that they they break out for everything. They used to all be different. They used to be be different every time. They used to have some production value and, and not just be speaking into just this blank space uh, yeah i yeah and it's funny because i hated nintendo's uh e3 events back in the day and i hated the old the older nintendo directs and now i i pine for them it's just just like the buyout era i didn't know how good i had it until it was gone well, there was that early uh, January 2017 stage show that they did for the Switch. Like, whenever they mm. put out a new console, even though it's not their, their normal thing anymore, you got to get on stage to talk about it, right? Yeah. Um, that 
that made me nostalgic. That's that's something I'd love to get back to, like uh, a Nintendo stage presence where yeah. people are just out there trying to live their best lives. Uh, <laughs> I I don't I don't know if Doug Bowser's the kind of guy for that. Uh, I I. He's been president of Nintendo of America for so long, and I feel like I still don't know him very well. You don't, yeah, no, it's, it's, and it's, that's, that's the funny thing is like we, we've been on and on about how like familiar we feel, even if it's just in, in a more clinical sense of the term with the creatives behind our favorite games now. But Nintendo, it's kind of the opposite direction. It feels like Nintendo has retreated inside their shell. Yeah. Uh, which which is apropos for a man named Doug Bowser to do, but uh, I I yeah, it's like e- even if it was just the fake corporate familiarity that you had with people like Reggie or uh, Iwata, you know, you still felt like their personalities came through, and you you had an ID, even if it was just this manufactured image, you still felt like you knew them. I guess Sakurai is the last person to really project that in uh, these nintendo directs yeah um, whenever miyamoto shows up he has that feeling and sakurai has that feeling as well uh i think koizumi does to a certain extent as well he he definitely seems to be the person that they're like bringing him out because they realize he has some sort of charm but still yeah. without like without opportunities to espouse that feeling we don't have a connection uh uh, uh, th- that Me Fighter trailer from I think 2014 Z3, uh-huh. where Iwata and Reggie physically fight each other yeah. in order to <laughs> debut the the Me Fighters for Smash Four. That was amazing. That would never happen now. I don't even know who it would be. I've I I just realized I've never seen like the lower half of most of these people at Nintendo. Like because I'm I'm just picturing Reggie and. Um, Iwata fighting each other, and I was just like, you know, have I ever seen the legs? I, I've seen the legs of Doug Bowser once, but I can't remember them because he doesn't show off them gams anymore. Wait, you've seen you've seen the Me Fighter trailer though, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, that's what I'm saying though. Like I, they they were fighting, and uh, yeah, I, I I I can when I picture Reggie, I picture his full body, like uh, torso, legs, and all, and and I, I I don't know, I don't know Doug Bowser. I don't know the shape of him very well. <laughs> I don't know so. the shape of Doug Bowser. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. Well, well, Mitchell, the Renaissance. In the end, I would say the Renaissance has been, I think, the most magical era of the DKU for me as an adult. Right? Like, because I can't divorce myself from the nostalgia of the classic era or the spinoff era. But I mean, this. This is the era where I think the fandom has found its voice, where we, we've, most of us have kind of discovered our true selves and uh, embraced that. And it's really where I, I think everything about our fandom has reasserted itself, where we we kind of took control of the narrative and it was no longer like, oh yeah, Rare made some games, they were overrated, glad they're no longer with Nintendo, which was the, the talking point during much of the buyout era into the early aughts. And now it's just like, man, 
Banjo-Kazooie was a great game. Man, I love Donkey Kong Country 2. Like, like we have taken control, as is the case with these generational shifts. We've taken control, and we've made it acceptable and sort of uh, in vogue again to like the things that we like. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I looking back, like, the Renaissance has been a magical eight years as far as, you know, DK Vine and my fandom goes. Uh, it's been a kind of a dumpster fire for the rest of the world, but, you know. Yeah. Um, something that I don't think we brought up yet is wow. e- even though the, the, the tone of Nintendo stuff has been... Well, we, we lost those voices that we liked, right? Mm-hmm. Um, even though that's happened, we have seen Nintendo take such a big, giant leap since 2015. Like, they were they were in a bad place at the beginning of the Renaissance. And now they, yeah. Nintendo's the biggest they've, like, ever been. Yeah, we talk about, like, the state that Rare was in coming out of the Kinect era yeah uh but yeah and it's easy to forget hard to remember that nintendo <laughs> like people are writing eulogies for nintendo during the wii u era i mean it it, it was um so stark the turnaround that happened with the switch yeah like that that period right before what we're calling the rare renaissance was was it was bad for rare it was bad for nintendo it was not like a lot of my favorite stuff previously wasn't doing very well. Uh, and that, that was, a, that was probably a, a big reason of why I got really into indie games at that point. Um, just because everything else, like what, what even is going on at the, at the period uh, at, at that time? Mm-hmm. Uh, which is, which is good. I, now some of my favorite games are from that period of like looking in places I would normally have, have not looked because just nothing is happening. Yeah. Um but yeah, it, it it feels really nice that like I don't know what the next step is. I don't know what the next big like if Banjo's ever coming back, I don't know what who would do it. I don't know what that would look like. Um we we have talked about like the Donkey Kong game rumors. If that game comes out soon, like who knows what that looks like too. Um but just in general there's so much potential energy building up right now yeah that like whatever the next thing is it's gonna come hard and fast (laughs) right yeah just just like those uh executives wanted gamers to do at e3 that's that's a terrible ending let's not end there (laughs) okay (laughs) i wasn't sure I, I, I've got the, uh, like a, a sixth sense with this show, Heil, where I'm like, okay, Heil wants it to end right now. <laughs> yeah, but, but I don't think it edit? should. <laughs> no, no, that's, that's, that's a bad ending. No, I wish. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I guess what you're saying is the Renaissance has been eight years of foreplay and. <laughs> wow, you're just like pitching endings. Okay. Uh, <laughs> the renaissance is like a taco and you're really excited to eat it and then when you finish it you realize you also got a burrito 
That's that's the best metaphor you could come up with. All right, I'm I'm pulling the ripcord. That's the end. <laughs> awesome, great, cool. Yeah. <laughs> Good episode, Heil. What a weird energy. Sometimes you're gonna get it. You don't know what energy you're gonna always have going into these. This has been a File Two production. Qué rico.